Amen. I love the way that John writes his gospel, his good news. Throughout his account of Jesus and his followers, John drops these little details into the story. Details that sometimes aren't in some of the other gospel stories. Details that sometimes we miss. But these details uh, can be very important for us to really grasp the full intent of the story. But also, uh, these details remind us that what John is writing actually took place. That this is a historical story. This story of Jesus is a historical fact. And it's important to pay attention to the details that John mentions throughout his gospel. The story is in the details. And John provides some incredible details for us to see. This scene that uh, we had read from John chapter 20, it opens with Mary Magdalene coming to the tomb of Jesus. It is early on Sunday morning. She's coming to anoint a dead body. That's her purpose. After Jesus' death on a cross on Friday, uh, they didn't have enough time and they had to rush to prepare his body for burial and they couldn't complete that process because the Sabbath was coming that evening, their day of rest. So here she comes to finish the job on Sunday morning. She's coming to anoint a dead body. It's early. And as she gets to the tomb, she, she sees that it's empty. And what's her first thought? Her first thought isn't that Jesus has been resurrected. Her first thought is that someone has taken the body of Jesus. She doesn't even entertain the thought that he's been resurrected. So what does she do? She hurries to go and tell Peter and John that his body has been taken. And Peter and John run to the tomb. And here is one of those details. For it states that John outran Peter to the tomb. Now, sometimes that, that, that makes me smile. Let me just put it that way. Why? Because Peter and I have a lot in common. If I'd have been racing anyone to the tomb, I'd have been last. It doesn't matter how far, how long, I'd have been last. And so uh, Peter and I have that in common. We have other things in common as well. But, but I, I love that little detail. It says John outran Peter to the tomb. Uh, and John gives us the details of how the tomb looked. He writes that the, the strips of linen, linen cloth that, that wrapped the body were, were lying there almost as if the body just uh, evaporated through it. And the cloth that was wrapped around his head that was, was separate and wrapped up and laying and folded by the side. And when John saw all of this, the text says he believed. I think sometimes we, we skip over that too quickly. Here is where John believed. Now, we're not sure exactly how much he believed. But, and Peter and John, they leave going back to their homes. They don't know what else to do. But not Mary. What does Mary do? She lingers at the grave, weeping. John 20, 11, it says this. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb. Now we know that Mary Magdalene had a special relationship with Jesus. 
She was one of several women who were devoted followers of Jesus and followed him everywhere he went. In fact, the Gospel of Mark states that Jesus had cast out seven demons from her. She and a group of women traveled with Jesus from town to town. These women helped support Jesus financially as well. So you can imagine that she had this incredible love and devotion for him. She was there at the foot of the cross with Jesus' mother Mary and Mary the wife of Clopas and the disciple John as Jesus died. He hung there for six hours. And these women are there for the entire time watching as he dies. She's there as they prepare the body for burial. And here she is on Sunday morning trying to complete that process. And we see Mary weeping. You know, there are times in our lives when weeping is the only appropriate response. When a friend dies, when someone you love is struggling and you can't help, sometimes in life weeping is the only thing that we can do. And here Mary is weeping. She and the disciples are aware that their hopes and dreams have been dashed by Jesus' death. It seemed like evil had won. And even worse, now Jesus' body is gone. And this is what Mary feels when she is at the tomb. All is lost. All is hopeless. It is worse than I can imagine. And she is weeping. And this is part of life, isn't it? In life, we will all have pain. In life, there are times of incredible grief. And there is, this is where the resurrection comes to break through into that pain and suffering. And tells us that evil will never have the final word. The day of death, sorrow, and desperation will never be the final day. Did you hear that? Our worst days are never our last days. Let me say that again. Our worst days are never our last days. This is what Easter is. The worst days are never the last days. God takes us from despair to hope. But you need to understand this. Easter isn't a promise that you won't go through bad days. That you won't go through the worst days. Easter isn't a promise that you will be spared from death and difficult days. Easter doesn't change our circumstances, but it changes our perspective on them. We see life differently because our worst days are never our last days. Mary Magdalene would see things differently from that time forward. After she met Jesus there in in the garden tomb, she knew that from then on her perspective would be completely different. No doubt she struggled. No doubt she still had pain. No doubt she still experienced loss. But she lived her life differently. She knew that things would be all right, ultimately. The disciples were the same way, right? Their perspective on life was radically changed after the resurrection. It changed how they faced life. They knew that their worst days wouldn't be their last days. You see, after the crucifixion, what did the disciples do? They went into hiding. They scattered. They were stunned. They were shocked. They didn't know what to think. But after the resurrection, they went from a band of scared, 
hopeless outcasts to a band of bold, empowered, joyful followers of Jesus. They were indeed transformed. They lived their lives differently. They saw their life differently. In fact, 10 of the 11 remaining disciples were brutally killed because of their beliefs. But it didn't matter to them because they knew their worst days weren't going to be their last days. God turns our despair into hope. And hope, to me, is one of the foundational premises. It's one of my foundational premises of life. I tend to be an optimist, and I see hope everywhere. Hope is a theme that we find throughout this book. From Genesis 3, after we sin, to the very end of Revelation, there is this theme, this letter of hope that goes throughout. We see that. We see this story of God's redemption. A story that in spite of how dark the circumstances seem, that there is hope. That God is present. That God is there. That God is yearning. That God is working for our salvation, for relationship. Throughout the Bible, we see this over and over again. And the Bible doesn't sugarcoat life, does it, though? We see incredible suffering. We see over and over how God's people suffer, how time after time the people fail and and suffer the consequences of their actions. Sometimes uh, their sin has caused them to be in a terrible place. Sometimes it's just because of something else that's going on in the world. But we see constantly the nation of Israel being reminded, because of your sin, because of your brokenness, you are reaping what you have sown. There are consequences. And part of that is exile and persecution. We see despair. But throughout that story, even when it looks darkest, there's a thread of hope. Even in the book of Lamentations. You know the book of Lamentations, right? What does Lamentations mean? Weeping. It basically means it's a book of weeping. Lamentations is a book of weeping. This is what it says. Uh, I will never forget This is what Lamentation says. I will never forget this awful time as I grieve over my loss. Yet I still dare to hope when I remember this. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. Let's say it together. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. This is Easter. That's the message of Easter. There is always hope. Death is never the last word. The worst things are never the last things. Your worst days are never your last days. There's a final thing I want us to look at this morning that is a detail from John's gospel that we don't read in the other gospels. As I've already said, the details are important and give us some incredible clues to the overall message of this gospel. In John 19, right before the passage we read earlier, in 1941, it says these, this, these words. Now there was a garden in the place where Jesus was crucified. And in the garden, there was a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. Only John tells us that Jesus, Jesus is crucified and then buried in a garden. Why does that matter? Why does John include this little detail that some of the other gospel writers don't? In fact, Mary mistakes Jesus for who? The gardener. She thinks he's the gardener. (laughs) How does the gospel of John begin? Do you remember? This is an important detail. John's gospel starts with these words. In the beginning. 
There's one other book in the entire Bible that begins the same way. Which one? Genesis. In the beginning. John's gospel ends in a garden. Genesis begins in a garden. You remember the story of the Garden of Eden? The, the story of creation and Adam and Eve. You remember what the garden was like. It was a place of beauty. It was paradise. It was a place of food and lushness. There was no war, constant peace, no pain, no suffering, no resentment, no death, no lies. A place where Adam and Eve could do what? Dwell with God. That was the Garden of Eden. They had all that until Adam and Eve decided that they wanted to take their own path and do their own thing and decide on their own what was good and what was bad. And they disregarded God's path. They ate of the fruit that was forbidden. Isn't that the story of the human race? Isn't that our story as well? We look at the things we don't have and think they, they would be better than the things we have. And we lost the garden, paradise. So when John tells us that Jesus was crucified, died, and buried, and then raised in a garden, he's taking us back to Eden. All the way back to the beginning of the story. We've been talking about this since the beginning of the year. What have we been looking at? We've been looking at Genesis and Exodus and how that story is completed in this story. He came to repair the garden. He came to take us back to paradise, the garden. And on the cross, we see how far from Eden we have come. And Jesus on the cross is showing us the only way to get back to Eden. The only way that we can have that life in the garden again. And that's through sacrificial love. Jesus' sacrificial love is the only answer to heal the brokenness of this world. And through the resurrection of Jesus, we see that God does indeed have the answer to a broken world. And that our worst days, hear me, our worst days are never our last days. And because of that hope that Jesus gives us, we can give that hope to the world as well. The tomb is empty. Christ is risen. Let us pray.